Welcome to Supply Chain Next with your host, Richard Donaldson. Join us as we explore the ongoing evolution of supply chain, from the challenges professionals face every day to the ongoing digital transformation of the entire value network. Okay, and welcome to the next episode of Supply Chain Next. And I can't tell you how thrilled I am to have uh, Mark DeWitt on the show today, uh, someone who I've been interacting with uh, for quite some time online via LinkedIn. Uh, and actually is a part of the organization Circle Economy that is has created what I consider to be one of the best infographics featured in the National Geographic article that Robert Kunzig wrote um, that is the source of all information when it comes to where we are with circularity. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Mark DeWitt. Thanks a lot, Richard. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, and 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 just like anything, we're going to dive right in, um, and you know, kind of cut right to the chase. But you know, you 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 are part of the Circle Economy. Uh, you're in Amsterdam. Um, you're one of the founding members. But you know, as we always do, we'd love to start by hearing a little bit about you, Mark Dewitt, kind of where you came from, and you know, a little bit of your path and your journey in getting into the sort of circular economy and being one of the thought, you know, becoming one of the thought leaders in the circular economy. But you know, how did how did it all begin? Because it's a kind of an interesting story. Right. Well, I mean, um, I think at the start, it's it was really when I started back in 2000 study my uh did my started my study of astrophysics okay just just before you go any further already we're in the interesting territory from astrophysics to the circular economy that's freaking awesome it's very straightforward it's very straightforward so i i always had a fascination for how do things work and what is the relation how can you yeah just kind of get a grasp on how systems work Mm -hmm. and i thought well why don't we start with the most complex one which probably is how does the universe work but quite often and quite soon into that study i just realized well this is too far detached from the, the world i live in so i thought how can i apply that same um way of thinking about how systems work but apply it to the world around me um and i pivoted my study to um be about uh, renewable energy renewable energy and resource use so that was my uh, my bachelor master and um soon after phd <laughs> which actually was on uh, the bio-based economy which was very much uh, we're, we're talking i think 2010 mm-hmm. um now very much an an, an up-and-coming uh, uh topic with a lot of interest. And although I liked it, there was also a lot of controversy um, and it was really um, a a very siloed debate and and a very political debate. Um, I I liked it a lot, but I wanted to move on. So I went into consulting and actually consulted with some of, of very kind of resource intensive companies. And what I love there is the um, the way where you can kind of solve some of these complex puzzles, think about it, but also bring it to a very practical use and really help them advance complex thinking, making it extremely simple, because that's always what I love. Take complex things, make them simple and, and apply it in, in, in the real world. So um, after a couple of years in, um, in, in, in those kind of companies, um, I started to interact with uh, an idea of an organization uh, called Circle Economy, founded by uh, Robert Jan van Achtrop um, here in Amsterdam, my hometown, who heard of the concept, had an idea, we want to establish an organization 
Um, and then with a small group of people, I uh, was one of those. Um, we, we started to work on this organization and start to think, well, what actually is this concept of a circular economy? So we started to learn of the concept already coined in the uh, late 60s, early 70s by Professor Walter Stahel, an economy in circles. Um, many other schools of thought, um, uh, cradle to cradle, blue economy, all of those um, kind of big schools of thought, biomimicry, that all had laid the foundation for, I think, this very kind of simple um, and interesting concept of, of the circular economy. So we started to gradually build out that, uh, that organization. And that by now is almost on the day 10 years ago. Um, so yeah, that's kind of very quickly um, from that astrophysics starts to um, the start of circle economy, and and now we're on the road for for ten years. Well, well, uh, again, like I said, fascinating beginning. The fact that you were in astrophysics, thinking at a system level, and then moved into the circular economy at a planetary level. Right. I mean, I can see I can begin to see the cord or the dots that connect into that. Right. And and immediately as you're talking through that, I, I start to think at a system level of the planet. And really, at the end of the day, we're a closed system. And so by definition, everything we've done since the inception of the planet has been in a circular fashion and and almost to the to the to the element that you outlined in one of those you know infographics. We'll get to that at some point. You can actually begin to show how resources are being used circular circularity circular circularly, right? As they move and get moved into something, some other element, and then move back around. But nothing's left the system at this point, right? right. Um, which is sort of an interesting when you start thinking about it, because at the at the highest level, you know, because I've I've been uh, thinking a little bit about water conservation, and one of the first questions I asked is, you know, what's the problem we're really trying to solve? Because water just is very circular in its nature, um, and it's just a question of how much potable or usable water for human beings are we really talking about, right? And how does that move around? So anyway, uh, enough of that. And I also want to compliment you. Your English is 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 amazing, and I know it's the second language or third language. But just out of sheer curiosity, having grown up, I'm assuming in Amsterdam or somewhere thereabouts. Um, well, in 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 the Netherlands, okay, um, very very close to here, just half an hour. I mean, the Netherlands, if you go from south to north, is two hours on a car, so right. it's a very small part of Europe. Yep, yeah. yep, yep, yep. But but, but great, 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 uh, uh, great language. Thank you so much because it's my my. Depending on what other languages you are, French or German, I'm, I'm a little old old on those ones. Uh, uh, but uh, fabulous. Okay, so let's 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 jump right in. So so astrophysics kind of moving into the circular economy and really you know the circular economy. I'm going to kind of dive right into that. But as you shifted into that, um, and about ten years ago, twelve years ago, if you're kind of forming at that point in time. Previous to you, there's the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, right, which has been a big advocate of circular economy. I know y'all do things together, but she predated kind of circular efforts by about 10 years, five years, I think, to the circle economy. Correct me if I'm wrong on that one. But then, you know, at that at that forming time, like what was it that that really, you know, the the three or four or five of you really started kind of honing in on? And then what was the breakthrough moment to found the circular economy? And then even more generally. What is the Circular Economy Group? I know you're a nonprofit, but it'd be great to hear from your own perspective, being a founding member. How are you founded? What was the mission? How has it stayed to that mission? How has it morphed over the last 10 years, if at all? 
Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I just mentioned that I was one of the the, the first ones really um, start to help really build a company, but there were three kind of um, founders um, of the circle economy. So that was Robert Jan van Ochtrop, who comes from, as he sometimes refers to himself, from a very linear world. So he okay. was the CEO of a couple of companies, very much in uh, in, in the investment space. Um, also a former um, CEO of a big bank um, here, uh, Herman Weifels, who was also at uh, at World Bank for, for quite some time, and a professor of ecology, Louise Vett. Um, the three of them came together, I think, all in their, um, let's say, back then, uh, 60s and 70s, um, and all had this, this idea of the circular economy as a concept so simple and so intriguing and so powerful um, that they wanted to um, get all different parts of society together. So the investment space, um, academia, government, business, um, civil society, et cetera. So the, the first idea was really, we need to have an organization together who at a first instance in the Dutch landscape, so in the Netherlands, gets all of these different blood groups together and, and with them starts to see how can we move this to, to action. So our starting point was very much um, uh, Dutch-based, um, very small, um, and very much kind of getting uh, initial projects off the ground. I mean, I remember uh, a project with a, a, a paint producer, uh, a dairy company, um, one of the big um, agricultural banks here in, in the Netherlands, and really starting to have kind of sparring sessions almost and, and ideas of how could you apply this circular economy concept to your business reality? And how could this uh, how could this work? And one of my big draws for uh, circular economy, um, after having studied uh, sustainability um, in university, was the aspirational and can-do element of it. So if you go back to the early seventies with uh, limits to growth, Club of Rome. Uh, Carlson before that with Silent Spring, the start of the green movement, etc. There's always kind of in those 40, 50 years has been a lot of, let's say, uh, a very punitive and very moralistic way of approaching the green movement. And what draw me to the circular economy is the idea of um, well, what you can change and the ability to aspire to something worth um, aspiring to. So, so I think that was really my personal draw. And then those the, those early days was really kind of forming an organization with a handful of people um, around um, a, a table um, and, and really trying to build that organization out. Um, indeed, we are set up as a not-for-profit, uh, deliberately so. Um, we got a lot of our early funds from a couple of multinational corporations who believed in our cause supported us. Um, and, and then we started to have support from philanthropy organizations um, that, that again wanted to help us in the, in the saddle. And we kind of gradually started to build that out from five people to 10 uh, to 20. And now um, 12, uh, 12 years later with um, 55 people still out of Amsterdam, but working really globally, um, definitely a, a strong base in, in Europe. Um, we really work with, um, uh, with with many organizations in Europe. So the, that was the, the one kind of uh, transition from the Netherlands to Europe to the world. And the other one has been that we started off with business 
And currently we work with, uh, with businesses, with cities and with national governments. Um, so we have dedicated programs for, for all three. Um, and what we, what, what is the core of our, um, our offering is what we call the circle scan. And this is very much a, a data driven and fact based approach to look at what, what are all the, the materials flowing through your operations, whether this is a business, a value chain, a city, a nation, the globe. Mm-hmm. Um, what is moving through that? Where are the impact hotspots that you want to solve for? And what are the key levers to move that system to uh, to circularity? Right. And, and so fascinating story. Great explanation. Love the articulation in simplistic terms as well. And also, I, and, and this is another thing that's hard to 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 put a kind of put a finger on, but you're timing. Right. Looking back on that. Right. You founded this about 10, 12 years ago, and you fast forward to today, I'm not sure you could have been timed any better because if you'd founded this 25 years ago, probably too early, and given the momentum of sustainability being led by circularity here in the last few years, I mean, again, I don't know if you could have timed that or if you influenced it or were just a part of that momentum, but the timing has been exceptional. Where do you think in the evolution of the circular economy as an organization, as also mapped to the globe's interest in circularity because they kind of coincide. Somewhere there's an inflection point in the last 10 years where all of a sudden circularity became kind of the front, the leading edge of our path to sustainability. In your own reflection, where where was that? When did that happen? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's a good question. I think maybe for start, for me, it was absolutely not a given when we started this that circular economy as a concept would really be that be as big as it is today i mean looking for example and i just mentioned some of these schools of thought that we've had in the last 50 years so um, including cradle to cradle um absolutely f- f- fantastic and also kind of very much mainstream but much more product focused and, and many others of these schools of thought so we we, we believed in the simplicity ourselves, started to, to run with it. Um, you, you pointed out the Ella MacArthur Foundation. I think they, on the global level, have been the key advocates uh-huh. um, to, to really drive this with some of their early reports uh-huh. uh, sticking also a, a, a billion dollar um, kind of money number to it and all of that. They've done great work in, in putting the, the, the basic premise of the, the concept out um, but also from from the the early days, started to interact with um, with leading CEOs, with front running CEOs, um, heads of state, etc. I think the the adoption also of, for example, the World Economic Forum, mm-hmm. um, the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. So some of these global fora that represent both public and and private um, organizations quite early in those years, maybe somewhat behind the scenes at first, started to really adopt these narratives as well as a way. And and, and I think that the the success there was because of the positive connotation Mm -hmm. coming from that more negative and restrictive connotation um, um, in in the past. I think that was one, one of the draws, just the yeah, the simplicity of the narrative um, where you could capture a lot under and maybe we'll come to speak about whether that's useful because at some point, if you bring everything under one banner, that's also a major risk. Um, but, but, but I think 
That that is where where I mean, 10, 12 years ago, it was very much um, the front runners um, getting the awareness going. I think the inflection point was probably um, about five to six years ago, where you really start to see that major corporations started to include it not only in their strategy, but also communicate about it in their annual reports, um, even in the direction of uh, customers, for example, looking at the textile space um, with, with, with um, kind of leading brands like um, uh, like like Nike or H&M or, or others that started to, yeah, to, to use this narrative also, let's say, consumer-facing. Um, yeah, maybe to just share some observations. Obviously, we can't be complete in the time we have today, but just sharing some yeah. views there. Yeah, yeah, no, and that, that's spot on. And one of the things is you're kind of going through that, and I'm I'm right there with you. And it's 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 a question that you know is more of an intriguing one about kind of the in a way a look at the the behavioral psychology of the human condition, right? Because really, at the end of the day. I mean, and this is my own words here, but circularity to me, the biggest barrier to circularity being adopted or used or whatever is, is not, you know, anything technical or material, quite frankly, it's psychological. And, and that's the interesting thing to me is that, you know, circularity at the end of the day and reuse and recycling and all that sort of stuff, what, we're, what it, it appears to me is we're just retuning everyone's psychological outlook and what it means to be circular, right? Because all the elements of circularity or have been there since the dawn of the planet, right? We're just tuning back into it and basically kind of putting a shiny, you know, uh, veneer to it and saying, hey, circularity is cool. Like, come be circular. Don't, you know, forever it's been, let's go use raw materials and I'm going to feel bad if I'm not using new things, whatever that means, right? right. And so we're spending a lot of time kind of re- configuring people's mindsets towards, you know, circularity is actually way cooler. And oh, by the way, and this is where I'm going to get into the data side, it's actually more profitable for your business, right? right. That at the end of the day, all of this like fun, I feel good, let's hug each other is great and all, but businesses at the end of the day being capitalistic and wanting to be profitable, well, I got to give them a profit first kind of thing. And I think that's one thing that's been missing from the conversation to put the finer point on the psychology is that this is a profit first decision, not just an environmental decision. And I think that's one of the things I want to get to, but I want to talk about the psychological aspect of it because you're putting numbers and data and simplifying it for everyone. And it's that, by the way, that data, those numbers haven't changed. It's been that way forever. It's just now we're putting a light on it and putting a finer point on it. But, you know, why, you know, psychologically, all of a sudden, you know, circularity is now becoming cool, but it, it's taken a little bit. I mean, what, what, I mean, what's your kind of thoughts on that? Because it's not just data. It, it, it's kind of emotional. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I fully agree on that. I, I, I always like to put that a little bit in kind of that historic perspective, because I, I fully agree. I mean, since four and a half billion years ago, the, the kind of universe started with the Big Bang, etc. We, we've had kind of the start of the humans on this planet 200,000 years ago, modern civilization 6,000 years ago. Something happened, of course, 200 years ago when with the dawn of the Industrial Revolution, we started to use kind of fossil fuels mm -hmm. uh, whereby we didn't use kind of our muscle power to, to work the land, et cetera. But we found a source that, that tricked and provided a way to, to do that differently, whereby we could start to produce on a very different 
kind of scale because we extracted, we started to extract materials from the surface surface of the earth, which started to um, fuel our economy, our wealth, which brought great things, but of course also um, made us to um, to 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 end up with uh, with the situation we're in now. And the reason I'm I'm making this connection with your point of psychology, because also that transition has driven kind of that we now live in cities um, mm-hmm. and, and all of that, but also the fact that we um, started to appreciate um, material things, and definitely also after the, kind of the 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 Second World War, um, sets of values were very much um, centered around kind of ownership. I mean, ownership was status. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was that you were uh, well off and you had a way to show that to to others. And I think the interesting thing in terms of psychology, where it very strongly also connects to um, value and belief patterns of not only individuals, but also society as a whole, we start to see that now a, a new generation um, coming into play that that has very different values. I mean, they um, kind of value much more um, experience, um, belonging, but much less material side of things. Right. So, I mean, sometimes my, um, well, you could call it optimistic or pessimistic is if we wait one generation and that would be, I feel that my generation, I'm I'm 41 at the moment, is a little bit kind of transitioning in between. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't feel very much connected to that new generation in mm-hmm. in the values as I see them shaping up around me, um, nor the values of my parents who come more from that uh, that idea of value and status, etc. I think if we wait that generation, they truly have a view and 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 a set of values that will. That, that are the right psychology to do just to this circular economy. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, I think you're, you're absolutely right that also as a business, um, that there is a, a, a profit argument or a competitive advantage argument of being the first mover or at least an early mover to um, not be a victim of what we sometimes call linear risks. Mm-hmm. So in your in, in current kind of value chains, there are so many risks baked into your system. Uh, whether you you are an agricultural producer and and every year um, you 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 need to kind of uh, dig deeper to get to fresh water, um, and you started with kind of this water cycles. We don't have a shortage of water. We may have a shortage of potable water or right. uh, or for irrigation, etc. So it's it's really kind of that's. Um, um, yeah, that that whole system, whereby before we have that generation um, in place, um, that kind of almost naturally out of their psychology adopts this circular way of living. Um, there, there is a, a, a lot of kind of traction that uh, that companies now can have of being these early movers, and and and, and get through the situation soon before they're either disrupted. Um, by the markets or hitting a wall um, in, in in other ways. Right. Well, you, 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 again, I'm going to double click because you brought up something I think that's fascinating, which is circularity as a means to de-risk the business. Now, I've thought a lot about profitability being the leading edge of circular arguments, right? And, and by the way, and again, thinking sy- 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 systemically, 
right? When we talk about sustainability and, you know, sustainability is interesting as a concept, but it's a bit nebulous, whereas circularity to me is, is very specific and it is it's very easy to understand. And it actually has a lot of, uh, not just teeth to it, but, but uh, gravitas, it will be able to do what it needs to do. But where I'm going is, you know, I always thought about circularity as a means to increase profits, but you bring up another point. So if there's two points that businesses can walk away from is, hey, here's a way to get you more profitable, but also here's a way to make you more lean and have less risk when you adopt, go from linear to circular. Can you kind of expand on that? Because I think that's a really key point. Yeah, for sure. And I think there, there could be additional motives, but let's yep. indeed zoom into these ones. Well, an, an, an interesting and much used concept in, in explaining this is, for example, um, uh, Philips, or for that matter, kind of other organizations that move to, um, in, instead of a sales model, to a, a leasing model. So they mm-hmm. keep ownership. In this case, Philips, um, at least kind of the, the what, what now what's now called Signify, they produce kind of lamps, light um and and in, instead of kind of buying a lamp you you buy the light that they have and the benefit for them is that they keep the ownership of the materials including the m- many raw earth um, um, minerals that that uh, they need to uh, to produce those um, and I think the interesting there is that you make yourself less dependent on a very volatile um, world market. So in that sense, you're de-risking your business by staying owner of the materials. You keep them within your own kind of sphere of uh, of, of of influence. So it's it's really a way of yeah of of, of de-risking the, the the business indeed. Um, I think that's for one. The, the the other one is that in some of the traditional markets where um, uh, a producer would sell their um, uh, their products. You have, if you move, for example, again to this leasing model, you have the opportunity to add services to it as well, whereby you expand the, the pool of profits across your value chain because you're not only manufacturing the, pro- the product, you're not only selling it, but you're also servicing it, uh-huh. um, where you have more kind of customer retention and you're closer to your customer. Um, you understand understand them better. And I think in this day and age, you also are closer to the data and understanding how they use them, et cetera. So you you start to kind of integrate this full um, uh, surface offering whereby you in- increase your, um, your 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 pool of profits. Well, I think, and, and I'm kind of connecting dots as you're going through this here, but a point that seems to come up with what you just said is the human condition moving from a status associated with ownership of things to where status is moving away from, I own a bunch of stuff to I'm doing a bunch of stuff, whatever that new thing we're going to call it is. But I think that's such a profoundly simple yet spot on observation of human the human condition, right? Where for 200,000 years, we've evolved thinking our status Probably, and, and I mean, I hate to say it, it's probably male driven, right? You know, versus female. And, and, and I'm not knocking, but it just, that's the way things have been. And, and so you own a bunch of land or you own a bunch of things. Now I therefore become, you know, higher status. I'm elevated within the group. I mean, it's, it's, it really is about a, a way in which to kind of separate yourself from the herd, right? And we're kind of moving from that now. We're actually saying that's not a great way. To, to evaluate who you are and what you are. I don't know what that new thing is, but it's a, it's a lot more exciting than I got to own a bunch of stuff to make myself feel good. <laughs> 
right? Um, but it's going to take a long time or some time to kind of transition into that. But I also think then that translates to companies themselves thinking about what their function is, right? Because if I'm living in a world driven by a bunch of people wanting status associated with owning material things, right? now I just want to be able to allow you to live your life in a way that makes sense so that you can experience as much as you want, not own as much as you want, because right. ownership is static. I don't go with it. Experience is really the right. life goal, right? And so right. now businesses have to follow that transition as well, but it's the people that drive the businesses to do that. Yeah. Yet, I think some of the biggest businesses that are um, out there today are those type of businesses. And right. I mean, for example, Spotify or yep. or, or Netflix. I mean, um, and, and maybe these weren't kind of in the in the 70s and 80s, the, the, the big status. If you had kind of a thousand uh, compact discs at your home, that was right. not necessarily status, or maybe for some it, it even was. But now you're just paying a couple bucks a month and, and you have access to all the music in the world. Um, so, so you're fully kind of detaching that model from from ownership. Totally. Um, actually, also from um, materiality. Right. Um, I, um, I I now have a subscription to my new car since half a year, so I don't own it anymore. I mean, it's yeah. a subscription. Everyone can use it. Um, I, I must say, I mean, I live in a city in an urban area. If I would live in a rural area, I would probably want to keep. And, and own my car. So there's also probably a divide of where you are, what your specific co context is of how relevant it is today or maybe even long-term. But I think in, in, in many cases, we see that shift unfold in, in front of us with, with mm -hmm. very um, kind of aggressive, um, um, yeah, kind of how it, how it unfolds. Mm -hmm. Well, so, so, and, and, and again, as we kind of are, are peeling this a little bit here, like, I, I mean, I just, in my own head, I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I just start seeing this almost like interesting graphic. If I was, you know, some future historian, a la, you know, the foundation series and doing some, you know, uh, uh, some Isaac Asimov looking back on, on everything that we've got going on here. I think, I think you've keyed up for, at least for me is a transition from materiality to experience. And I have a whole deeper appreciation now when I say experience economy, what that really means. It's like we talk about these industrial revolutions and, you know, kind of moving into the information age, the information revolution. In a way, you're also system-wide looking at almost the human condition and moving away from materiality to experience. And that has a profoundly deep implication on how we view the things that we interact with in life. And how that makes our lives, you know, you know, providing food, shelter, and water beyond that, right, is the currency of the future 500 years from now or 100 years from now about experiences versus materiality. It kind of feels like that's kind of the direction that this is kind of pointing us towards. But I'm not sure I've seen anybody articulated at that kind of level. Right, right. Well, I mean, I, I I like your your summary. Of course, I'm I'm fully behind that uh, that observation. <laughs> yeah. um, yet, I I think that that will drive um, opportunities for optimization. Um, let's say, I mean, if you share any material asset uh, among more people to have access and to, to gain that experience from it, um, yet it does not solve the puzzle entirely. I mean, still 
the assets that you, for example, um, the, the Spotify example, of course, we don't have racks of compact disks in our house anymore, but we now have server centers that we also need to build, fuel, maintain, cool, yep. Yep. And, and and all of that. So there's a material reality behind what we call the cloud. Yep. That, that there there is material behind it. So it it doesn't um, kind of exempt us from the um, from yeah from from the burden of of materiality. So that will remain, and we still need the circular economy to fix um, that system um, in 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 many different ways. Yep. You're, well, you're touching on one of my, my former life was actually building internet infrastructure, data centers. And, <laughs> so, and I did that for some of the bigger names that are out there. So I'm, I'm right there. I mean, you're 100% correct. But I can tell you in the data center world, they, you know, we dealt with that a lot early in the 2000s when data centers started exploding. And I mean, you probably would, might be a little bit before your time, but Greenpeace came out very attacking the data center world about 15 years ago and for all the reasons you're bringing up and and again at the end of the day there but 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 you you key at an interesting point which again kind of also answers the question too it's like yes historic and i'm one of those guys i used to have a bunch of cds and tapes and stuff like that right that was a that was a cool status thing right i'm about 10 years older than you are so i'm just just old enough to remember in the 80s i used to have a big tape case i'd carry around and right, right. here's all my mixtapes and that was really a cool kind of thing and you thought they were cool but all that stuff goes away for a little chip right so i'm with you i mean data centers are still guys think circular but but i have yet to see any argument you know that that is persuasive to say well let's go back to cds and tape no 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 the chips oh, no. the data centers are infinitely more efficient even when it comes to currencies i think a lot of people miss the mark when it comes to like even things like bitcoin and mining versus again system wide i've gotten into the discussion I'm like okay you might have an issue with bitcoin and yes it consumes a bunch of power but let's look at a bitcoin versus a paper dollar bill or a coin and the cost that it takes to maintain that thing and circulate it, move it around. I mean, it's, it's not even a fair discussion, right? We, we, digital is definitely the way to go, but okay. 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 So you got me wound up and going. So <laughs> hold up. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I, I fully agree. Yeah. On, and and yet there's a material side of things that totally do as, as, as good as we can get it, but it's right. absolutely um, a, a huge improvement and step steps change yep. compared to where I'm from. Hundred percent, and and so so I want to I want to kind of come come back around because one of the things, and especially I'm going to go into now. You guys have been producing a lot of data, and I and I would normally throw it up here, but the but the one I'm going to refer to, and I I found it in that National Geographic article that Robert Kunzig wrote. You guys prepared the data associated with that infographic where you've got the roughly 106 gigatons of stuff, you know, kind of moving around about eight gigatons of it is in circularity. That's how you get the circularity number. You know, is it, is it down to the like minutiae? No, but is it directionally accurate? Absolutely. Right. And it, it lays it out so simply. And one of the biggest things that I see is just sitting in front of us is that nearly 22, I think it's 23 gigatons of stuff that comes out. That's the uh, non-usable material that is now then being added to the 980 gigatons of unused renewable material that's just sitting there waiting to be reused, right? I mean, we we could we have a decade worth of material that could be reused that avoids using anything out of the ground brand new right now, right? right. right. And so, you know, now taking something like that, like, like you've kind of laid it out, we have to see the problem. But now, how are you beginning to see people starting to attack that 
unusable, reusable, recyclable stuff that's sitting there. That seems to me like just, it seems like number one, getting people to buy, buy into circularity. I think we're kind of beginning to cross the chasm, so to speak, right? When it comes to that, I think circularity is, I don't, I don't know if we're arguing as much as people about circularity anymore. It feels like that, that, that flywheel starting to move. So now tactically, okay, where do I go next? That's going to have the biggest impact. One is getting people into circular, but now how do you begin to inform businesses, companies, and about all the materials that we can reuse right now? Right, right. Well, I mean, back to and 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 I think so. It's interesting to to very if 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 you allow me, kind of yeah. How this diagram came about is that we at Circle Economy asked ourselves the question, hey, we are back then, I think we had about 25 people. We're 25 people based in Amsterdam. Um, and we have the mission to to basically transform the world for, 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 for the good. So uh, the question we ask ourselves is, well, where do we put our focus if we really want to be effective? And then we, th- we said, well, why, why don't we look at... Um, what I later uh, started to call an X-ray of our global economy. So we need to make an X-ray of this global economy, understand where things are broken to be able to move forward. So it was really inspired by an internal um, affair to to focus our energy, let's say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and indeed, we tried to make it as, as simple um, um, as possible. And in fact, and, and this is um, going to the answer to your question, how we're trying to help um, businesses, cities, and national governments to, to, to do that and act to it is to replicate this X-ray, not on a global level, but on their value chain level, on their business yep. level, on their yep. city level, on their national level. So we replicate exactly the same type of analysis, the same type of output, namely a material flow analysis connected to um, where are things coming from, where do they end up, and how can you strike better collaboration across your supply chain? How do you know if you are a producer of raw materials going into the construction industry, ending up in buildings? How do you know at the end of life that you will um, get it back? Um, Mm -hmm. For example, by um, not demolishing in an old-fashioned way, but deconstructing it and Mm -hmm. um, making sure that you produce in a way whereby um, it's, it's modular, whereby you can use it again. So... So in in what we have done in the last 10 years is we've worked and we've applied this to about um, more than 100 businesses, um, about 30 30 cities and 10 nations we've done these circle scans with. Um, And I mean, the, the second part of our thinking was, well, if we, based on our manual labor, need to go business by business, city by city, nation by nation, we won't get there soon enough. So we place a lot of emphasis these days on our digital ambitions, whereby we try to disclose and in the ethos of our NGO spirit, put as much as possible to the general public um, in what we call our knowledge hub and disclose those data open for the public to really accelerate the learnings and the insights to be able to move. So in short, we, we start to break that down, contextualize it to business cities nations um, get the best possible examples um, searchable really quick so that you can be inspired by the best thinkers and doers around the globe see how they've done it be able to connect with them get the right data and insights and and then help them um, uh, move to practice 
Well, and, and let me double click on that because it's another fascinating piece here. I think you're you're influencing through education, which is by far and away you know one of the most effective things you can do. So there's a two part question in here. One is, given that again, given your systems look. There also must have been somewhere in the history of circle economy, kind of a, a, an understanding that you guys were, were were hitting a lot more people, right? Like somewhere in the last probably four, five, six years, whether it's web traffic or interest or something, like, like there's a direct correlation to how much, and I'm making this simple, to web traffic, to how much impact you're having and educating people. Have you guys even looked at yourselves in that context, right? That's sort of question one. And then- Question two, kind of building on that is, you know, another way past ed- education, okay, that's the high level. But within that, I think this is a key one for you as well, because he thinks simplistically is, what about metrics then to allow people to wrap their heads around things? Because it's one thing to have a nebulous term. It's another thing if I have a circularity index or I have a circularity quotient. I, I mean, if I'm thinking of things, I start thinking, well, where's that one little, like I, I like in, in data centers, to go back to that world, we have this little thing called PUE, right? Power utilization effectiveness or power utilization efficiency. It was the first KPI that measured the energy consumption in a data center against the energy waste of all the supporting materials. And I was a part, I was fortunate enough to be part of the, the group when we were figuring this out. And, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, if, if somewhere, when someone wants to write the memoirs of data centers, the creation of that singular KPI, I can directly correlate to dramatic improvements in data center right? Efficiency. Like the minute that thing came out and people were banding about, well, I've got a PUE of, you know, 1.8, it's going down to 1.6 and my goal is 1.0. Then that became a marketing, again, go back to feel good, go back to psychology. Companies started wearing that as a badge of honor and that impacted, like, I mean, I literally, it's like it went from, we were wasting energy left and right data centers to like overnight, everyone's designing, you know, hyper-efficient, cold out contained, you know, uh, adiabatic cool data centers, right? So I'm wondering the same thing here in the circular economy, is there coming, and maybe this is a hidden question, right? You know, some some sort of KPI that you guys are even thinking about or, or thought about. So a couple, couple, couple of big windy questions there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think the first one on um, kind of the, the the amplification of the concept of circular economy, and and yep. also you ask a, a great question, kind of also if, if we've looked at ourselves in that context. Yep. I definitely have not. I would yeah. not have a clue. I mean, I've seen these stats on how much is it looked for at Google, etc., and how has that kind of moved through. Um, and and that's I think still an, a hockey stick going uh, going up. Um, so I, I wouldn't know that in 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 our own context. I, I mean, in in terms of your your metrics question, um, I think that's a very interesting one. So if I can relate it back to this material X-ray of our global economy that we uh, that we established, we stuck a number for uh, to the 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 that the global economy is only nine percent circular at the moment. And and to be honest, and and this was really where my scientific mind was quite hesitant to stick that number to it. I was like, well, I mean, there are a million caveats to make. So on the one hand, and you referred to it uh, before, data isn't flawless. Mm -hmm. Um, And and this is why science hasn't produced 
this material x-ray because they can't because sign uh, because data isn't robust enough <laughs> nevertheless we felt directionally it's good enough to at least publish it because it's better than not publishing it uh -huh. um we we stuck a number to it and we called the the global economy nine percent circular which, which was very daring but i was convinced by our comms people and i think they they were right in the sense that it um added to making a very complex concept quite circular. The globe is 9% circular and we need to, to move it forward. So, um, and, and that also has been our key KPI at that moment on the global level. And we set out the ambition five years ago when we first launched this report at, at, at Davos um, to do this year on year. So every year get a sense of how are we faring in terms of the circularity of the globe. Unfortunately, we have not been able to, to hold up to that promise or that, that ambition because data is just so infrequent, so um, scattered that we can't meaningfully uh, report on that year by year. But what we can do, and this is really how we're uh, translating this to, again, the context of a business, a supply chain, a city, a nation, is that we're sticking in a number of circularity to that on the top level. And on the top level, we say, well, how much of all the materials you consume as a city or as a person or as a business, how much of that comes from being cycled content versus virgin content? Mm -hmm. And that is the most basic metric KPI we could stick to circularity. But there's a big problem with that because it's basically a metric of recycling and not of circular economy, but because the core concept of circular economy is not recycling, it's actually keeping things in use longer uh -huh. by repairing them, by optimizing the use, by sharing assets, by, by all of that. So by slowing the flow, um, it has to do by narrowing the flow, so doing more with less. So building the same capability, the same experience, the same usability by using less materials or less critical materials. And that's all not captured in this KPI. So the big endeavor at this moment is that we want to at least aspire to a dashboard of metrics, which are basically um, four. Um, to which extent are you able to cycle things when they come end of life? To which extent are you able to optimize the use by um, slowing the flow? So by keeping things in use as much as possible, by narrowing the flow, so using as little as possible to create something and looking at using regenerative materials or renewable materials in the first place to produce your, your artifact. And we are currently looking at that set of four basic metrics to look at any system, which will then inform you about kind of the key things where uh, where you need to to look for, and that can also give a steer to uh, become practical about um, implementing circular economy. Yep, and 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 I, you know I'm sitting here, and my my head's just bursting with all the different things because I mean I, it's like we're speaking the same language. And so first, thing I want to say is that the annual thing we picked up on that, and um, you know I I I'm right there with you. I mean it, it's so easy to tell people today we're eight percent circular, right? Again, directionally, 9%, 8%, 7%, it's a magnitude, right? Order of magnitude to give us directionally where we're at. Why aren't we 50% circular? It's a simple question, right? Everything's right in front of us to go do that. And I think that your, your analysis allows us to say, make a statement like that. We're not 
50% circular trying to go to 80% circular. We're not 1% circular trying to go, you know what I mean? We're, we're kind of doing some circularity, but clearly not enough, right? But that, that, that number, that fact is what gives validity to the concept, right? Versus nebulously just talking about sustainability and circularity, right? You need, you need something tangible. Otherwise people are just gonna be like, okay, well, I don't, I just don't get it, right? And then you get into then kind of double clicking into, okay, well, how do we measure our species objective of getting to 50, 60, 80, 99% circular? I mean, I'm starting to think of like Dune now, the movie or the books and the Fremen and everything being circular in those still suits and stuff like that, right? Like you have to, you have to almost rethink people in that, in those terms. You're going you're to understand why I make that analogy here in a second, because I'm going to go back to your astrophysics, but bear with me. Um, um, so in these four metrics then kind of, you know, helping, helping businesses and people, but you know, that, the, you know, businesses can make more, well, the material flow, I guess, is really, it's almost like there's, there's needing a, I guess the question I'm trying to expand here is when you introduce a material, it's like an ingredients list, right? But the ingredients list has a material flow to it. So ingredients list is a static picture of what's in the thing. The material flow is a dynamic picture of where these things have come from and where they're going. So, that to me feels like something new that companies are going to start thinking about kind of illustrating that. Where did these material, like, again, I'll pick on Nike here for a second, right? Because they're fairly forward thinking. I happen to know the CEO there, John Donahoe, used to be the CEO at eBay when I was there. Um, you know, he's a big circular technology kind of person. I know he's pushing the company in that direction. Um, but then it's like, I'm almost thinking, is there a way to illustrate on the product itself that ingredients list and where it came from and where it's going and how much of it's reusable, recyclable and things like that? Is that anything that's kind of in the conversation now that you guys are looking at helping companies implement? Or are you aware of anybody doing something like that now that people right. could look to? Right. Well, I, I find what I find interesting uh, concepts there is. Um, for example, Madaster, it's a it's a, a company which makes kind of um, building passports. So they look at uh, the materials that are in in a building, but you're able to then also kind of real time evaluate that building. So you look at kind of the steel, the cement, all of the different elements um, up front at erecting the building, you already think about what will happen at, at the end of life of this building. When it comes to end of life, how do you repurpose some of these things? So it's it's an ingredient list, uh -huh. but it's an, it's an ingredient list whereby you have more deliberate information on what will happen at the end of life. One, you have more information of what the real-time value is of that asset over time. I think uh, technologies like, like blockchain could be very interesting in, in if you have many different data sources, uh, many different components to a product, um, and, and you have different lifetimes because of repair cycles, etc. You have a, a real-time understanding of how it's built up um, and, and, and what the opportunities are, are, are in that space. I mean... What we're doing in that space is making more, I would almost say, static analysis, but looking at the element of, of dynamics. So how can you plan for your next cycle or you repair or vertical integration in your supply chain or collaboration across your supply chain, either downstream or upstream? So, so we're not in, in the business of making these clever kind of apps or digital platforms to do these dynamic 
um, uh, let's say, um, uh, um, well, compositions of, of products, etc. But I think there are are many great examples where where mm-hmm. that starts to make it in, and probably that's that's what we're going to see much more of in in yep. the coming years. Yep. Yeah. Well, let me let me uh, and 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 like I said, literally a blink of an eye, an hour can go by. I I I I feel like we could go for days on days and days. I, I mean, because there's just so much in here. But I do want to, and this is my own selfish, like nerdy side that I want to go to. So. Again, I'm going to go back to your astrophysics history here. So, and I sort of sprinkled in a few sci-fi references, but you know, one of the things that we're in the midst of that I find fascinating is we are watching now the human species begin to migrate off-planet. And so, I'm going to bring sci-fi and, and supply chain because I, I start looking at Elon Musk and SpaceX and uh, Chris Kemp over at Astra Rockets, and Chris Kemp, who's actually a software guy building this rocket delivery company said, I'm not even a rocket delivery company. I'm actually a supply chain company. So we're just at the early stages of building the human supply chain to extend off planet, but it's bi-directional. That means all of a sudden supply chains are moving on and off, right? Because if we start sending people to the moon and sending people to Mars, now that fixed materials that are sitting here in this fixed system start moving off the system. So, so, So where I'm going now is big, big astrophysics concept here, but the sun at the end of the day is kind of the sole energy source for the whole planet. And so there's so much energy. The sun is basically beaming at earth that gets reused or, or converted into stuff, us materials, things, right? That's probably a fixed amount of energy. And there's only so much we can do, but now that's all been sort of fixed in earth. It's been fixed in this closed system. Now it's, now we actually are starting to move in a direction where we're going to start taking that energy, that stuff on and off. And that's going to have a big implication on how we even look at our future kind of almost space-based supply chain in a way. That's probably maybe a little bit out there for you, but but I'm just, I mean, let me get your head wrapped around that one for a second. Wow. Well, I mean, I'm absolutely on a personal level fascinated by this this development of uh, of space travel and, 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 and really, I think when it comes to let's say that the circular economy and fixing the state of our current planet. Yes. It can also um, provide a bit of um, escapism. I don't know if that's, that's, that's a word in English. It's, it is in Dutch. Yeah. Um, that, that we're almost seeking a, a way to fix it there um, and not having to fix our system here. So yep. as long as it's kind of an escape out of the, the, the 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 misery we're setting ourselves up for at, at planet Earth potentially I think we have everything um, in in our power to not end up there and and we should do it and we can do it we just have to do it um, I'm fascinated by space travel to which extent that provides a solution for the position we're in I I find that a daring um, uh, um, um, well, philosophy and, and way to go into, but I, I find it fascinating on a personal right, right, right. Always, I, I mean, it's just one of those times that I mean, and all the the question inherent in there is not something that you or I are ever going to see in our lifetimes, as far as we figure it out. But it's yeah, but it's still an interesting thing. Okay, so so let me let me kind of you know wrap up our little bit of conclusion. But I mean, a you know, so much cool stuff in here. Uh, you know, I was going to stay in touch. You know, clearly, the goal you guys have in moving everything towards circularity, but what are some of the things that you guys are actually doing or looking to do over the next year or two as we're coming out of the pandemic, circularity is becoming in vogue, you guys are growing? What sort of the future of you and the circular economy group look like over the next couple of years? 
Right. Well, uh, I, I mentioned a couple of um, elements in that. One, kind of, we reinstated our mission, which is now that we want to double circularity in the next decade. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason for that is because we see that if we double circularity from the current 8.6 to 17%, we can keep the planet on a one and a half degree pathway compatible with the Paris Agreement. So that's that's kind of where everything is, is geared towards. Um, we have two main ways. So we'll continue to to play on that that circle scan, applying it to business cities and nations. Um, But we're going to put much more emphasis on uh, digital. So really finding ways to, on the one hand, also democratize um, these insights, for example, to the global south, where we don't interact a lot because the price point, we may be an NGO, but the price point to um, uh, ask for our help to support in in all of that is difficult. We want Mm -hmm. to democratize that by um, getting these insights, these MFA insights, the, the best examples to the right people at the right time by by means of of playing on digital and the other one is by um, partnering with with the right institutions so we have a lot ongoing with the united nations with uh, with world bank um, but also with world world economic forum with the platform for accelerating the circular economy so really seeking the best platforms um, out there and, and the ones with the biggest distribution and reach um, and, and work with them to, to really get the message heard and get to the, the, the practical orientation um, in, in the heads of people and, and getting them um, um, have a, a very practical way to, um, to change yep. uh, the system in their context. Yep. Awesome. Well, that, that's a great way to kind of wind things out. Again, I would just want to thank you for spending the time here today. Uh, you know, a bit of a spontaneous, but I, you know, I knew it was going to be a lot of fun. Definitely want to stay in touch. Definitely want to collaborate on certain things. And and then just so you know, um, you're saying in the next decade, get to 20, you know, 16, 17% circular. You know, we threw out there the concept of an international supply chain day where in the next decade moved to 50% circular. So I'm, I'm right there with you, but it's, you know, it's like, like, you know, we just need to, but it requires the day that you can track it and see or see what we're doing our progress. Right. I mean, it means nothing if, if I don't have data behind that and showing where we're going and you all started by giving us the baseline data from which to actually accelerate us towards circularity. Right. Um, so super exciting to see all that. So thank you so much for today. Really a pleasure. Um, you know, we're going to, we're going to carry this conversation forward for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Great pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And um, yeah, really, let's continue the conversation and, uh, and and act together and collaborate. You got it. All right. All right. Thanks, Mark. Well, listen, have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments about this episode or topics on supply chain you'd like us to cover, you can reach us at supplychainnext at requis.com. And while you're at it, check out the Requis platform at supplychain.requis.com. Requis allows you to manage the full asset lifecycle in the cloud while collaborating with your entire value network to buy, manage, and sell your assets. Find out more at requis.com.